This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. We're in Grand Rapids, Michigan for this episode of the podcast and joining me is Jason Spaulding, one of the founders of Brewery Vivant and Broadleaf Brewery and Spirits. I should say one of the founders, founder with your wife. Right. Yeah. Well, Got to make sure we include that. For yes. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with your wife, Chris, you all have, have launched Brewery Vivant. Was it 12 years ago now, Jason? Yeah, 12 years ago. Uh, makes us one of the older breweries in Grand Rapids. Kind of seems like we just started, but yeah, it's 12 years. Well, you're keeping things fresh and keeping yourselves on your toes with the the Broadleaf brand, two additional locations with that and a different focus and a different approach to beer, all kind of complementing each other. Um, but definitely some stalwarts here in Grand Rapids. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, your approach to brewing and the approach to, to building these beer businesses and, of course, some of the things that have happened uh, as of late. You know, before we started this podcast, we were talking and, of course, uh, you know, you resonated the episode that we talked to Tommy Arthur about uh, growing down with you all are in some of that process yourselves. We'll kind of talk about how you all are, are facing this reality in the beer world as well as how you're adapting to that and trying to find what customers want you all to be in this world of beer. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about your approach to building Belgian style beers and, uh, uh, you know, building a brand around that in this kind of cool church-like locale here in, uh, in Grand Rapids. And then of course, you know, evoking this kind of more modern uh, contemporary approach with uh, progressive beer styles out at Broadleaf as well as spirits and other things there. We're going to talk about all of that, but first for years, GD Chillers has chilled the beers you love partnering with 3000 plus breweries across the country. They're proud of the cool partnerships they've built, offering 24-7 service and support. GD builds with non-proprietary parts, expert craftsmanship, and constant innovation. GD's in-house engineering crew have been piping breweries, wineries, and distilleries for over 30 years. They offer free piping design and consultation with the sale of every chiller they build. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call to discuss your next project. This episode is also sponsored by BSG, distributors of TNS Hop Oils, a revolutionary hop product that gives your beer all the hop intensity with none of the astringency. Make better beer and get more from each turn with less work. Change your brewing game with TNS Hop Oils. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn how. Uh, before we start, just want to say thanks to Experience Grand Rapids for their support in making this trip possible. Uh, to plan your own beer trip to Grand Rapids, start at experiencegr.com. Jason, let's kick it off with a little bit about history of Vivant Broadleaf, etc. You know, and maybe we start with uh, you know that kind of personal beer history. What led you to this point of uh, of starting a brewing business? What uh, what got you to that point? What's that arc of beer look like for you? For us, uh, so my wife and I um, met at my previous brewery. So part part of the history too is like many people uh, was a home brewer in college. Uh, me and my friend Brett, uh, right out of college, we started New Holland Brewery, which is in Holland. Uh, where we went to college, Hope College. Uh, actually drank a lot of beer there, even though it's kind of a uh, religious school. But uh, um, there's really a trip to um, Europe we took with a soccer team that we got to see, like, the culture of beer. 
And that was really kind of eye-opening. We we're already into kind of craft beer. Uh, we'd go skiing in Colorado every year um, and kind of see how, you know, these breweries existed and how they were part of the communities. And it really echoed what we saw in Europe. And we came back, you know, this is like when we graduated and kind of we're fading from following that degree uh, that we earned in college and, and looking at, you know, hey, could we start a brewery on our own? And uh, that's really where it came together. In, in 1997, um, you know, we opened New Holland Brewery. Uh, it was the same, you know, our, we had... So you were uh, one of the founders of New Holland. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then our fraternity brothers, uh, Mike Stevens and Dave Angbers, were uh, the founders of Founders Brewing. So, uh, you know, Dave was one of my roommates in the early days of uh, Hope College, but know those guys really well. And we kind of started those breweries at the same time. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward, you know, the, in the late 90s, um, you know, craft beer was really new to, to Michigan. Bell's, um, you know, at that time was really, really small. Larry Bell was delivering beer in his van. Uh, There's a homebrew shop in Holland that we'd, we'd uh, buy supplies from and Larry would show up and drop beer off, uh, which is kind of cool. But, you know, that that's how far back we're talking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, but, you know, I kind of count us in that we're like the second wave of craft beer in the New Holland days, um, late 90s. And then, uh, you know, but those were the days, you know, we were out selling beer and there weren't that many people interested, really. Um, yeah. But, but it, 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 you know, it grew a lot and, um, in Holland anyway, it was kind of controversial to have a brewery because it's kind of a, um, you know, a, a conservative town. And, um, we attract a lot of people just because we were brazen enough to do it. And, uh, so we kind of got our, my feet wet there and, uh, I stayed there. Uh, so it was 1997 when we finally opened 2005, I left and I met my wife there, um, she worked at Herman Miller, which is a, a furniture company, but they're also a very, uh, you know, they were one of the f- leading companies to start the lead certifications, and she was in their design for environment group. So she kind of brought the sustainability part, uh, and she loved beer, which is why we got married, which was great. And, uh, and, and in 2005, I left, and her and I kind of put plans together to kind of, we didn't know what it was going to be at the time, but to start Brewery Vivant. And uh, that's what it ended up being. And when we built that plan together, you know, we just kind of were writing a plan for what we thought a business should look like with a brewery. And we tried to build it with, you know, sustainability in mind, with, um, you know, doing all the right things. And, and uh, it kind of came together. And this place in Grand Rapids, uh, you know, there, there's a few ways to build a business plan, but we we built the plan first, then tried to find the location, and the location we found in this old funeral home that looks like a church just kind of came together and uh, couldn't pass up on it, and um, and then here we are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just just like that. Just yeah. here, here we are. Yeah, yeah. yeah snap yeah. a time. Yep. <laughs> Herman Miller, that's fantastic. I I have pieces of Herman Miller furniture in my home, and I am a big fan. I'm a big fan of modern furniture in general, but. Uh, um, that's an advantage living in West Michigan. I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you know where to look, I mean, you can find like used Ames chairs. Yeah. And, I mean, it's like, it's common stuff over here, but, um, it's kind of fun. 
Fantastic. That's a whole nother topic that I could yeah. go down a giant rabbit hole on. Um, you know, so, so in 2005 ish, you decided to start Vivant. Uh, what, what year did you all open? And we didn't actually open here until 2010. So, uh, I, I got a job, uh, when I left new Holland, um, where I had to wear a tie and it was kind of, kind of miserable. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was fun though. Uh, at the same time, I, it was uh, economic development. So I'd, I'd visit, you know, it, it, the whole idea of economic development is you're trying to bring, uh, help companies grow, bring companies into Michigan. Um, so I'd visit owners of manufacturing companies mostly. And the ones that I connected with the most were the ones that would talk about beer. Yeah. So I just, I couldn't get out of my system. It was just in my <laughs> system. Uh, and my wife finally, one time, just like, I would always talk about, okay, when I start my own brewery again, and she just got tired of me talking about it and finally just said, all right, if we're going to do it, let's just do it. Um, and I end up, you know, I committed to two years to that job. I did my two years and I did kind of jumped off and that's, uh, I went um, kind of reinvigorate the whole brewing thing. I connected with Siebel and I could do the concise course either in Chicago or in Munich. Munich seemed a lot more fun. Sure. So I did that uh, and that was kind of our jump off point to get, get Vivant started. Yeah. So, and that was probably 2008. Uh, you know, it's a process to get something started. And if, if you remember the the downturn of the economy in 2009, right. you know, it was a, it was a quite a task. So it was longer than we thought when we started to get it going, but um, it all came together and the location was something that I think is kind of iconic to our brand now. And we kind of recognized at the time, like you don't get a second chance at a location like this. And, uh, it had a, you know, it's an old chapel, as you've seen, and then, but adjacent to it was a, you know, kind of a warehouse space with a tall ceiling. It's all this bow truss, historic building, but, you know. We're up a, in the rafters right now yeah. in the office, uh, and, and, you know, with this curved roof over us. Yep. Um, so we just kind of went for it, and yeah. uh, and it's, you know, it's been, uh, it's been great for the neighborhood, and um, they've embraced us, and Grand Rapids, you know, is... So how much did the place and the building that you find impact the bi- the idea of the business? Um, when we finally opened, you know, th- this was um, this was a there were already restaurants here, but it was um, previous to that, you know, a really bad neighborhood, and um, there was a, a a lead certified building across the street that happened, and then another one happened, so it kind of had this real cool vibe going, and. Uh, if I could have, at that time, if I could have picked any building in Grand Rapids to go into, like just to kick someone out and come in, like this was the area I wanted to be in. So, but we did build the plan first and found the building to fit it. And it was just, one of those things, once we found it, like we just held on to it like a bulldog and made it work, even though economics and everything were kind of working against us. Um, it was just the right thing for us. And we kind of knew it. Yeah. So the idea was to build a Belgian quasi Belgian focused brewery, right? Making Belgian style beers across that kind of Belgian style spectrum. Yeah. And part, you know, part of that was looking at what people weren't doing. And part of that was our personal passion. Um, we had an opportunity, like when I took that course in Munich, my wife came and joined me. We, we toured Germany a little bit and then we immediately crossed the border into France and Belgium and just like fell in love with these, you know, we purposely were, we had an idea we'd like it, but when we actually got there, all these little farmhouse breweries, uh, we purposely went to the ones in Southern Belgium, 
you know, these little tiny breweries no one's ever heard of before, but they're these little village breweries and, you know, all the beer was amazing and it all went great with food. Even though they're making it wrong to the Germans. Right. Yeah. To go. And that was fun too, <laughs> to go from like German teachings yeah. to, uh, you know, French and Belgians just threw all that out the window. Yeah. Uh, that I think actually made it even more special for us. Right. And, uh, just kind of cemented. And then, and then actually, um, you know, we flew out of Paris and we stayed in Paris for a couple of days and on my way out, I found uh, Lefe, um, one of my favorite Belgian beers, in 16-ounce cans. And then fast forward, you know, when we actually opened, we were trying to decide, do we go cans or bottles? You know, back in 2010, it was still bottles. We, were the, we weren't the first. I think we were the second in Michigan to go with cans. Um, but that having that experience and seeing how a Belgian beer in a can could work, you know, stuck with me, and, and uh, we were kind of on the leading edge of that too, but it fit our sustainability efforts too. So, um, you know, all those experiences tied together and kind of made it what it was. Sure. Sure. Well, I want to talk about how you then formulated, you know, the idea, the specific character of Vivant beers, because just saying Belgian is far too broad. You know, you definitely have a specific point of view within this broader world of Belgian beer. I want to talk about how you formulate formulated that and, and found this focus of what, what might be some of those, you know, kind of key vivant points through this Belgian spectrum. Before we do that, what is AccuBrew? It's an analytical tool designed to collect and compare the information you need to refine your fermentation process by tracking your sugar conversion, clarity, and temperature in every batch. But why do you need AccuBrew? AccuBrew is more than a glorified speedometer. AccuBrew is an ever-evolving tool tailored to you, your process, and your business. Save time, protect your schedule, and detect problems before they happen. Quality, consistency, and confidence that's what AccuBrew delivers. Also, at ProBrew, they believe that your brewery deserves equipment as unique as the drinks that you craft. That's why their solutions are specifically designed to help you brew your beer, not someone else's. From brewing to fermenting to carbonating and can filling, ProBrew's customizable equipment empowers breweries to expand operations at their own pace. For more information, visit www.probrew.com or email contact us at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. Probrew, brew your beer. And scheduling freight carriers should be the last thing on a brewer's mind. So why not trust the experts to handle freight for your ingredients? Old Orchard has partnered with a leading logistics firm in the craft beverage industry to transport your flavored craft concentrate blends. When you order two pails or more from Old Orchard, you qualify for freight quotes to get started, head on over to oldorchard.com slash brewer. So Jason, you, uh, you know, you, you tour through Belgium. You have this idea with Vivant that you want to, you know, uh, you know, formative idea to you know build this brewery around the idea of, of Belgian style beers, you know, but you have a viewpoint to that. It's maybe not quite the same as other American iterations of Belgian beer. You know, there is, uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, it may be not quite, you, you made some yeast choices and you made some very specific, uh, you know, functional approach choices to give these beers a character. Talk to me a little bit about that. One of the things that really hit us on that trip was, um, you know, how this beer and food went together, you know, and, yeah. and uh, you know. And you do have a kitchen here at Vivant. It is a, it is a, a brew pub. Yeah, it's a brew pub and we try to keep it, you know, very uh, European 
to and like uh, the charcuterie board and cheese board is something that it's one of our best sellers and it's something that we just love uh, and we do pates and things like that which is all you know taking us back to our experience and and those things with you know matching food and beer back in you know 2009 you know people weren't doing that right, uh, it was right. still you know people think of wine and cheese and and wine and food but not really beer and food but that's if you think about it that's going back to you know when beer was just a single you know fizzy loggers from the big three sure. right so people didn't think of that's what they thought of beer they didn't think of beer and food going together so that was an opportunity that we saw making very flavorful beers and and pairing it with food and also previous to that um trip that i took to munich i went and worked for zingerman's in ann arbor yeah, which yeah. i don't know if if your listeners are aware of that, but it's a very food centric place. And I, I worked at, uh, Zingerman's deli. I mean, or yeah. is it still a deli? I, maybe yeah. it's just bigger than that. Well, now. now they have multiple businesses. They yeah. have a cheese company. I, I worked at the roadhouse, which was a, their full service restaurant, but you know, very, very food focused. And, uh, you know, just that food element and how beer can be, uh, a natural partner with that. And, you know, if you do it right, um, you know, the food tastes great on its own. The beer is great on its own. But if you put them together and you elevate that experience, that was really just exciting to us. And that was new. So that was really our motivation. And, uh, you know, good food beers fit that kind of saison, that farmhouse thing. And I really loved the way that farmhouse beers are really undefinable. You know, they're kind of very vague. And in all the breweries we met in Belgium and France, um, you know, it's very American to want to, you know, we would ask them, what style is this? Is this a Saison? Is this a beer to guard? And and they're not brewing with that in mind. They're just brewing a beer that they want to make. And we love that too. And that's that contrast to German brewing too. You know, they're just making what they were feeling. It's very artistic and we loved it. So that was really influential. Our our taxonomy tends to lead the beer production where their taxonomy follows it, yeah. That right. uh, you know we can look back at and classify certain things after they're made, rather than brewing in order to fit that classica- classification. In America, everything seems more style driven, even though styles are a complete myth. They're just a construction that we've created for marketing and and solely that. Um, you know, and, and so yeah, right. In that sense. It is interestingly free in that these are just the beers we make. Now they tend to have some commonalities because, hey, it's just it's easier to use yeast that your neighbor might have also. Right. And, uh, you know, easier to use ingredients that you might be able to share or, you know, get within that region. And, of course, your water is going to, you know, set that foundation for the beer and, and anything in a specific area on a similar water source might might be the same. But because those water sources also change and some of those ingredients change, you're going to end up with all of these different beers and, you know, in all of these different places. Yeah. And those are all things that we took note of, uh, in our travels and like, wow, like if we could do that, like you weren't, we don't want to come back and import ingredients from Europe. We want to come back and like, let's use what's around us. And, you know, Michigan, uh, being surrounded by the great lakes is a great water place. Like we, we don't really have to do much to our water at all. It's just great brewing water. And we have, uh, you know, people aren't aware, but, the climate in Michigan, you know, outside of California, it's the most diverse agriculture uh, center there is as far as what we can grow and things like that. So, 
know, we can use what's around us, which is, you know, so fun. And it was just kind of blowing us away once we started down this path and uh, that food beer connection was there. And then, you know, let's make beer that speaks for itself. And, and, you know, our, our number one beer still is farmhand, which was kind of modeled after this beer experience we had in, uh, in France, there's this little brewery called uh, Charmoy uh, and the closest, so this was in France, the closest brewery to this place was uh, Orval. So when they needed an extra bag of grain or <laughs> needed help, they yeah. would go, they would go <laughs> talk to Orval, which I, you know, just like, boom, well, that's amazing. But uh, farmhands kind of modeled after my memory of that beer experience. So I bet if I had drank their beer and our beer next to each other, there'd be nothing alike, but just like my memory of it. Um, but that ends up, you know, it's still our, our number one beer. We, we try not to define this beer. So it's actually, um, we just call it a farmhouse ale. Uh, but it's actually, you know, with a beer to guard yeast, but it's brewed more like a Saison. But also means, you know, we can never enter this in competition and expect to get anything from it. However, our customers love it. Uh, first beer we made, still our number one beer. I mean, uh, so that that's what really counts, I think. You know, the styles we have, and I know I've said this before, the styles that we have in the categories we've built are, they follow, you know, they were based on groupings of existing commercial beers. They are descriptive and they should not be prescriptive. Right. Um, you know, but at times, and it's so funny to see that like, even within these kinds of categories, there are always those beers that sometimes are even listed as paragons of that they don't fit exactly within that category because that's the nature of these things. You know, the creativity and the locality and the individual creative input that uh, the brewers have often means that uh, these things that are somewhat similar are not exactly the same and shouldn't necessarily, you know. Anyway, all of that is to say that this is an interesting one. And when I taste it, it may not drink like what I stereotypically might think of as a Saison. It, the yeast is a little more uh, demure. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a little bit uh, tighter and maybe even a little bit more bitter, but not necessarily in that kind of, uh, you know, floral, noble kind of way. It's just, you know, but it has that kind of, you know, structure with a bit of peppery yeast note to it to give it more of that structure, you know, without it feeling, you know, like overtly caricaturally Belgian in that sense. Right. We're trying to ride that line because, you know, originally my whole goal was to how can we make beers like this everyday beers where people would think of Belgian beers as like a specially occasion beer. Uh, you think of like a, a you know, a caged bottle of Chimay or something like that. You know, the, those end up being, you know, once a year beers. But, you know, I wanted to make a beer like this, put it in a can, make it accessible, uh, use what's around us. So, you know, this beer uh, we, we use, um, it's about 20% uh, unmalted wheat that we get locally. And that was something that we took note of over there was sure. how can we tie this local aspect in and uh you know there aren't a lot of malting options back then uh there are more now locally but you know the unmalted wheat thing was a way we could tie in the agriculture and make it unique and yeah and we liked kind of the lower ester aspect of it that you could make it an everyday beer and it's one of my favorite beers to drink with food so um i think we we did it so doesn't doesn't feel out you know it's not that far different from more you know American uh, ideas of pale ale. I definitely 
has its own character that's different than that. Yeah. But it's adjacent. You know, it's close enough that, yeah. uh, yeah, someone could drink that as they come in here and feel like uh, if they understood pale ale, it doesn't, you know, it's not going to, uh, you know, completely throw them off into to some other place. Yeah, just different enough uh, to give it something unique. And, and it's, you know, uh, we've built the brand over this 12 years and, and it's, uh, you know, you can find it on tap all over Grand Rapids, which is nice. You know, it's yeah. kind of... Uh, sunken in and people have accepted it and it's great. What are some of the other kind of core and, and mainline beers uh, that, that Vivant goes back to and uh, has been continuously making over the years? Well, that that's evolved quite a bit. And, um, you know, we're a brewery that, you know, the pub is very important to us. We've always been, you know, in the categorization of how the BA looks at breweries. You know, they, they define it as if you sell 25% or more of your beer, on your own premises, you're a brew pub, um, which we've always fit into. The pub's always been important to us, but we did have a, a a desire to go out into the marketplace, and it's been interesting to see how that's influenced what we make. So originally, uh, we had Farmhand. We had a beer called uh, Triomphe, which was a Belgian IPA. Um, and then we had this beer, Solitude, which was a, basically a, a double. And then we've, uh, you know, we've retired a lot of those beers, <laughs> Uh, they've gone out of favor for yeah. whatever reason. And, and you know, it is a challenge to, you know, uh, with a classic Belgian yeast to make the hops work. Uh, but uh, we, we took, you know, on that original trip, we, we stopped at Le Chouf and we had the opportunity to taste um, their, oh, what was their hoppy, they call it hoppy Chouf or I can't remember, but it was like a triple with Amarillo and some other <laughs> American hops. Yeah. They were test marketing it. At the brewery, they had not yet, to my knowledge, sent it to the U.S. yet, but it was that first time I'd seen uh, a Belgian brewery bring American ingredients in, and that was back in whatever that was, like 2009. So that kind of blew me away. So that Triumph was kind of our answer to that, that how could we do that, but ended up not being super popular outside our pub, and that, that uh, you know, that distribution part... Um, it's kind of interesting, you know, and I'm sure we can talk about it. We're in an interesting spot with our brewery where we're kind of retrenching and looking back to our original roots, but we kind of extended ourselves into this distribution uh, aspect, and that really dictated what we made more and what we would discontinue. So if it didn't sell well in the marketplace, even though it was a pub favorite, we would have to retire it because you don't want to lose that shelf space. So around here, we've got um, a store called Meyer, big grocery stores. When we opened, we hadn't even made a beer yet, and I got a call from the buyer from Meyer that wanted our beer. And it was like, that was amazing. So they were looking for it, and it was great. But then fast forward to today, I can't get the Meyer people to even call me back. <laughs> so yeah, you know, sure. things have changed quite a bit. Yeah, um, But if they want you to change something, you you change it. So... You know, if I think about what we made originally and what we're making now, that has uh, changed quite a bit um, in beers. So uh, we earlier had a, a beer called Solitude. We haven't made that for so many years, but that was another original beer, but that was a Double, and Doubles just don't sell <laughs> in the marketplace. <laughs> we sell it in the pub, but that's not a very marketable yeah, beer yeah. on the shelf. But uh, So it's, it's interesting to see uh, how that arc has changed over time. And uh, we've evolved with it, but I think we've still kind of kept the, you know, kept the same, uh, the same line, 
to make it all work. And, uh, you know, lately we've been talking about how, you know, we, we went really hard at, you know, the only way we could describe it was this, you know, farmhouse in Belgium, but we kind of call it zoomed out. So now, now we are, you know, we have a Czech style logger on tap and we kind of call it like a European zooming out. So we're, we're kind of looking at um, the beers that we make at Vivant have some tie to a European tradition. And, uh, and that's kind of opened up enough avenues for us that, you know, we can keep people interested. It's still fun and, and it's true to our brand and, and it's been great. What drove that zoom out? I mean, because, you know, incorporating Czech style lager or Czech style Pilsner into a mix of, of Belgian beer. I mean, that's, that is something different, you know? Yes, yeah. there's definitely a European underpinning to all of it, but, uh, you know, is that something that was driven by what you all wanted to have or a space that you had in a lineup? You know, what you saw in terms of demand from consumers here? Or is it more brewer-driven where they wanted to explore and play in this kind of space um, because that was just some beer that was interesting to them? Yeah, that that is an interesting question in itself because, uh, you know, the vision that I had for the brewery back then, you know, was looking at a lens. You know, we were when we got our license, there were about 2,000 breweries in the country, which seemed like a lot. And the thought was to be this kind of unique player making, you know, exclusively, you know, these farmhouse or Belgian style beers and, you know, have a core at home, but then we could, we could send them off to Chicago. We could send them off to some other key cities and they'd be really, really unique. But, you know, that looks so different once you crest, you know, 7,000, 9,000 breweries, you know, that, that world just looks different. And so the, the need to have one brewery that has shallow distribution in major metropolitan areas where there are places that need these beers sounds really good for a while until every one of those major metropolitan areas has their own brewery also making a pretty good iteration of those same exact styles. Yeah. Chicago is a perfect example of where, when we went in there is probably, you know, we opened 2010, we went in Chicago 2012. And when we would show up at these bars, they'd be like, Oh my God, this is great. A local beer. They put us on tap. They loved us. And within like two years, we were no longer local. You know, now we were the outsiders because there's so many breweries opening in Chicago. And so we, we kind of retreated from there and it, and uh, it's just been interesting. So, you know, part of this zoom out has just really been, you know, we need to be able to, we can't just be such a specialty brewery. We need to be able to make other things. And, you know, we're, we're lovers of all things beer. Um, we just happened to choose that path because it, it seemed like the right thing at the time. Uh, and I, I love a nice, you know, dry Saison. And, you know, those are things that I, I live for. But I also, you know, I love hazy IPAs. I love, you know, Czech lagers. I just love all things beer. And, and so, you know, we had to change that a little bit. And then also, you know, the Broadleaf um, spinoff uh, kind of came out of just watching what was happening in the beer world. Um we built our brand so concisely around this uh, Vivant image that we just couldn't get ourselves to make beers that drifted too far into, you know, adjunct stouts and and hazy IPAs just didn't seem quite right. So that's kind of, that was our answer to kind of spin that off. So rather than dilute the brand, you created a new brand and a new yeah. space 
with a different brew house and, and everything else in order to kind of explore that. Let's talk a little bit more about that. But first, from the rotatable pickup tube on Rogue Brewing's pilot brew house to the integrated hot backs on Sierra Nevada's twin prototyping brew houses, SS BrewTech has taken technology they invented, working with world-renowned industry vets and made them available to every craft brewer. To learn more about SS BrewTech's innovation list, head on over to ssbrewtech.com. Also, have you heard of Christian Hansen? They're the fermentation experts with over 100 years of experience in dairy and wine. And they're now bringing that knowledge of microbes to brewers with their SmartBev range of frozen liquid yeast and freeze-dried bacteria. This portfolio allows for consistent performance at the brewery and produces a range of high-quality brews. Reimagine what your beer can be. Go to chr-hansen.com. That's chr-hansen.com to learn more about the SmartBev line of products. And join the craft beer community in Sacramento March 19th through 22nd for the California Craft Beer Summit. Access educational sessions on business and technical skills and network with industry leaders all under one roof. Speakers include David Walker, Natalie and Vinny Chalurzo, and Ken Grossman. The summit is an important opportunity for your entire brewing team from production to sales to marketing to develop their knowledge, skills, and experience in the industry. Visit cacraftbeersummit.com for the full speaker and seminar lineup and to register. So let's talk about Broadleaf, this uh, this spinoff. I love this idea that rather than uh, you know fundamentally change the, the Vivant brand and then start brewing all of these other beers, you're like, let's just create another location spread the hospital, you know, take our approach to hospitality there, you know, maybe with a, a different look and a feel that'll allow us to play with some of these other brewing ideas that, uh, that we have budding in the back of our brewer brewer's brain. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that kept me up at night. You know, we're watching this, uh, evolution of, of, uh, New England style IPAs and like we're getting people in the pub asking for beers like that. And we're trying to hold our line on what we're making, and uh, that really, you know, was tough to watch. And and I'm I'm one who loves to learn all things about beer, and I was you know really trying to dive in and, and learn everything I could about you know this beer style I've never tasted before. So I watched it happen, and and we kind of you know, we we did actually make uh, a couple um, you know beers like that under our label, and tried to you know, make it work, but it just never set well. So the idea was um, we, we were actually looking for a warehouse space to help grow our distribution business. Um, we were renting like five different facilities. We had um, wood barrels. You know, people have heard of these underground mines we have in Grand Rapids where uh, KBS from Founders yeah. is stored. We had our Wizard Barrel ground in there. So we had barrels of beer down there. We had cold storage for other beer at another rented warehouse. We had our cans and things yet at another warehouse. So we were looking to buy our own warehouse. And the only place we found was something that had like commercial zoning. So it was a 25,000 square foot building, perfect for what we wanted. We could you know house all our uh, barrels, all our cans, all our things in there, but we had to have a commercial aspect to it. So that was really like the jumping off point was, you know, do we, you know, do we make it Vivant 2 in an old warehouse? And it didn't feel genuine because, you know, I think this location 
really speaks to the personality of our brewery, um, being in a, in a chapel and that has a real European feel. And, you know, try to recreate that inside a warehouse. What do you do? Like build a fake chapel inside a warehouse that would just feel fake. So that was kind of the thought was, okay, here's our opportunity. We could, you know, participate in this, everything we're seeing happening in beer, but keep our other brand whole. And, you know, we're observing what other breweries are doing. I'm, uh, you know, a huge fan of, you know, what Lost Abbey was doing. And he he had gone down that road. Um, what do they, what do they call their hop series? Sure. Hop, they, of course they have port and lost Abbey right. and hop concept. Yep. Yeah. So I watched that Tiny happen. Bubbles is another brand. Yeah. And the, the shilling group, uh, out of New Hampshire, uh, good friends of ours too. And they had, uh, another kind of side brand and that kind of like just exceeded in my head. Like, wow, we, we could make another brand participate in all this, you know, fun learning and, hop-centric beers, but we could keep our other brand intact. So my wife and I came up with the concept, had a little bit of pushback from people, but once they got it, they understood. And and that's been fun. And since then, um, you know, now we have like a family breweries that kind of represents a nice swath of things and we have different focuses and uh, it works out pretty well. Um, Now we just opened our second Broadleaf pub, which, you know, kind of resonates with a younger crowd and and it... um, we our second pubs in a kind of a college area, which is cool, but it also allows us to kind of keep Vivant what we always want it to be. And and then um I think almost we can almost double down on that again because they're just different experiences depending on uh where you go. So that's kind of fun too. Sure, sure. How'd you uh, go about developing a beer program for Broadleaf? You know, we, obviously the idea then of that brand is contemporary, progressive, you know, flavor forward, um, you know, and you wanted to play in some of these other spaces, but, uh, you know, that's easier said than done. Yeah. Well, in our brewery here at Vivant, we had a pilot system that I bought, but it was really just wedged in the corner and we never really used it for what it was designed for. It basically, you know, it was a three barrel system and an otherwise a, a 20 barrel brew house uh, brewery that had, you know, 60 barrel fermenters. So it just kind of became like the fermenters just held cleaning solutions for, you know, everything, you know, they weren't really using it to to (laughs) brew pilot batches, just it would hold other things. Yeah. So when we had this other spot, we moved it out from here and moved it to the new place. Expensive yeast brinks that you had there. Yeah. 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 And hold the iota for to, you know, to soak things in. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the mash tun. But uh, now, you know, that we moved to the new location, uh, and, and originally we had our brew team here at Vivant, and they would just take turns making a beer over there, but it never really it never really worked. And, and it, of course, this was 2019 when we made that move. Um, and then, of course, the pandemic and things like that, we never really got it to take off. But then uh, during that time, we, we uh, plucked one of our brewers out of the Vivant team, uh, Terry, and put him over there. And he just took off with it. So he, by having someone actually have a focus on it, uh, and it's a three-barrel system, so we could just do all these turns and try it. And if it didn't work, it's fine. And we could learn uh, as we, you know, these little micro adjustments, especially, you know, in a, a, you know, when you're new to making these these uh, hot forward beers, um, you know, just making these little micro adjustments makes such a difference. Uh, and then he was really able to, 
learn everything he could over there. And, you know, we were tooting your horn earlier, but, you know, we really tuned into this podcast, your magazine, to learn a lot. And uh, that kind of gave Terry the, you know, encouragement and things to, to keep trying and, and hearing how other people are doing it because it, it was kind of a, a mystery back in in that time frame and uh but we've we came a long ways with with having that well, knowledge you guys and then, did okay because you yeah. sent us uh, some cans of chromatic shatter uh I, I don't remember exactly what year that was but for one of our ipa issues uh, over the past couple of years scored a 94 with our blind judges and uh you know it struck me like well that's a different thing for uh you know for the vivant team to be coming out with you know some rather good you know progressive style ipa in this hazy juicy kind of family yeah and that that was fun you know i do have to say like thank you thank you for mentioning the podcast is helping you all with this creative program i that's uh it's awfully kind of you to say that yeah it but it's true and uh you know it's a way that we've been able to kind of connect um you know especially during covid we don't really travel as much but that's when we learn the most spending time with other brewers but you know kind of getting uh similar content with people in brewers or sharing what they're doing it's it's been amazing um, you know, I didn't pay you or put you up no, to saying that, no. <laughs> uh, but, but thank you. Thanks. But here at Vivant, like our first, our, actually our first attempt to make, you know, this was me putting the flame under the feet of our brewers here at Vivant. They did not want to make a hazy IPA, uh, but I just made them do it. But the first one we did, uh, they just couldn't help themselves and they, they fuged it. And, you know, we didn't quite have it all dialed in and it, it went from hazy to clear. And it kind of def- like, damn it, guys, you know. Uh, so, you know, there's a learning curve there. But once we were able to get that pilot system going and actually get some trials and everything like that. A lot that, of hazy brewers are centrifuging their hazy IPAs and I they stay hazy. I know it can be done. But but back then, you know, yeah, that, that yeah. was such a stretch for sure, a, sure. a traditional brewer to, to do these things. Uh, it just went against everything that they were, were trained to do. Sure. Uh, you know, P, you know, all the things, pH, the way, you know, uh, just the percent of adjunct grains and things like that. It, it was just hard. Uh, but getting uh, Terry over there to work on this on his own, you know, put all that aside and, and we're able to kind of dial it in, you know, fairly quickly. Um, but it just took a lot, a lot of turns on a small system and then we learned a lot and it's been great. So what is the, what's the general beer program now at Broadleaf look like? Hazy IPA plays a significant role in it. Uh, you know, what, what, what does the rest of it look like? You know, we're trying to always experiment. And, and one of the other fun things is, you know, we're pretty near Chicago and Omega Yeast over there has been a great partner for us. Um, we're kind of on that short list where, you know, if they have something new, they let us know. And, you know, because we have the pilot system too, um, you know, these thylized yeasts and things like that, uh, we play with the all the Quebec yeasts and things like that. We were, you know, got a first run at those and playing around with all of it. And it's just been like this constant learning experience. And it's, I think that's what it's really about. Um, and, you know, Grand Rapids is kind of, uh, you know, it, it's a decent sized city. Um, you know, it's 250,000 people in Grand Rapids proper. If you take the outlying areas, it's it reaches a million people. So that, brewery is actually in Kentwood, which is considered Grand Rapids, but it's way different. It's more, um, you know, if you think of every chain restaurant you could think of and, and, you know, it's got Target, it's got Costco, you know, it's like a shopping Mecca, but people aren't, when they go out there, they're not necessarily 
looking for beer. So we're we're one of the like few locally owned non-chain kind of things out there. Uh, and it's taken us a while, but we've built up a clientele um, that's started to find us and, it, and it's been great. Uh, but, you know, we're able to try out all these different styles of beer and try these things out and we're kind of winning them over out there. Um, but it's just a different, uh, a different mode, but uh, it's really freeing because we can try all these things. And then we also um, have, you know, during the COVID time, uh, you know, I don't know if you've heard the story or not, but we uh, had the biggest sale we ever had for Vivant. We got our logger into the Tiger Stadium. And that was supposed to happen in, you know, April of 2020. So we started making beer in February <laughs> for this. So we had, yeah. uh, you know, tons and tons of this lager. Uh, and we ended up having, you know, and of course we ended up eating it because it, you know, never came together. But we had 400 kegs like ready to go. And uh, my wife and I didn't want to dump it, didn't know what to do. We ended up getting our distilling license, sending, you know, this 5% beer which, you know, when you're in the distilling world, that's not also not ideal. But yeah. we made it work, but we distilled all this beer down and uh, made it into spirits. And that's kind of another thing for Broadleaf is it's kind of spirits, um, you know, it's on that spirits trend where, you know, the, the drinkers out there, um, you know, it fits the clientele perfectly. You know, we got this nice balance of edgy beers and uh, cocktails and things like that. Uh, slushy cocktails, you know, uh, so it's kind of a fun, younger, uh, non-traditional, anything goes kind of place. And, and it's, uh, it's a nice, uh, dichotomy to what we have at Vivant. Sure. Sure. Uh, you know, now that also has driven some more recent changes in the way that you're approaching the business here at Vivant that, um, naturally, the you know, because of this niche focus, it's harder and harder to find that kind of leverage and scale that you need out there in the commercial marketplace to make packaging for distribution a really viable thing now. And especially, I mean, the, the you know the Michigan market in particular, it's very different from when you started. That uh, some of those players that were growing then are now fully entrenched. You're going up against right. competitors like Bells and Founders that have some very significant presences, but also are brewing the styles of beer that they can do in very significant quantities and scale and, you know, price them in that way and put reps out there in the market to support these things and, you know, and, and uh, you know, gain more and more foothold. You know, it's harder when you're doing niche style like Belgian style beers to, to find that kind of opportunity. And in fact, you you guys have made some decisions to also, you know, as we say, grow down and, uh, right. you know, and pull into, you know, this process of refocusing on, on what's core, you know, to your brewery businesses. Yeah, we had, uh, you know, original plan was to be about a 5,000 barrel brewery max. And that's kind of how we designed it. And it was going to be pub focused, but, you know, we would also distribute beer to, you know, some key markets, um, but that has changed quite a bit. And, you know, you're actually here at an interesting time because we just pulled out, uh, you know, seven 60-barrel tanks out of here. Um, got the last few going out tomorrow uh, that we sold, and we're bringing back, you know, two 20-barrel tanks. Uh, we were just over, you know, over capacity. You know, we had the ability to make 10,000 barrels of beer. We, we 
peaked at 5,000. And now, you know, this last year we did 3,000. And, you know, during COVID, we kept talking about you know, things going back to normal, but we're kind of realizing that normal doesn't really exist. So we're kind of taking it where we are now and seeing what makes sense. But, you know, we, last time we made this little beer was 2013. Uh, so it's a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a shot to the ego and things like that. But when you stand back and look at it, you just got to be practical about it. But, um, you know, that uh, foray into the wholesale world, you know, if you want that to be important to your company, it does dictate a lot, uh, in, even just like the choices, the beers that we'd make and what we retired, things like that. Sometimes those didn't feel good, but that's what we needed to do to be relevant to sell in the general market. Uh, which I think is really, really interesting. And I kind of feel like now that we're, we're shrinking our capacity down, you know, those choices of what beers we make become more important uh, because we can't. Uh, but you don't need to, need, need to brew three turns to fill a, a 60 barrel fermenter. Now right. you can also just brew one turn and fill a 20 barrel fermenter. Yep. And if the beer you know, sells within a reasonable time frame and that, yeah, you're good. You know, it, it just, yeah. the the need to sell that much more of it is lower. Yeah. And I, I kind of, you know, we're still going to be distributing beers, but our focus is different and we're going to make the distribution work for us versus the other way around, which I think also put us in trouble because, you know, uh, if you have a, a big customer like Meyer and you have distributors, like the last thing you want to do is out of stock them. So we would make more beer than we actually needed and then we'd eat it if we didn't sell it. And that gets really old. And especially, you know, in this coming out of COVID time where we're trying to, you know, on paper grow, but then have it not actually happen. We'd make the beer. You can't sell it if you don't make it was the thought. But then we ended up not being able to sell it. And you eat that a few times and it's, you know, that doesn't make sense either. And having the bigger tanks, you feel like you need to make that much beer. Uh, For someone who you know, for whom lead certification, this kind of environmental responsibility, you know, low energy use and efficiency and, and being climate positive, creating waste like that is antithetical to the, you know, even this kind of core idea right. that you formed this on. Yeah, no, for sure. And it, it never feels good to dump beer and then obviously the costs and all those things. Uh, so, you know, retrenching, um, and just rebuilding it. And we're, we're kind of, to be honest with you, we're kind of going back looking at our original business model again. You know, I kind of, I kind of kick myself, you know, you couldn't do wrong in 2015, you know, uh, at the time when I made the decisions to expand our, you know, tank fleet and things like that, that's what all the information was telling us. So I, I try not to kick myself too much for it, but you know, uh, boy, I wish I would have, kept to my original plan and just kept stayed small because uh, fast forward as soon as we bought all those tanks things plateaued and we never quite got there so you know it doesn't feel real good however 2015 2016 kind of was that time where yeah. you know everybody the easy growth kind of stopped happening especially you know with kind of a niche that we had too yeah. uh, with this kind of leaning belgian you know uh put a an extra emphasis on that so um but anyway, you know, now I'm actually excited because this has been like weighing on me for a long time. And now those tanks are actually out of here. I'm thinking about all the uh, things we can do 
to get back to our roots and the beers we want to make. And every decision we make for what kind of beer, you know, we're going to put in that tank is like more crucially important. And, you know, I think we can bring some of these beers back. You know, it, 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 it's really painful to have a beer that sells really well, is loved by the people in the pub, and then to cut it anyway because it doesn't sell in the marketplace. Uh, it's just a different way to look at it. And if you want to compete in that marketplace, like you mentioned, you know, we're uh, in the, you know, we got founders right in town. We got bells down, down, uh, you know, half hour away. And, uh, you know, those breweries are no longer locally owned. You know, those are owned by foreign companies now. Uh, yet, the cons- you know, where does the consumer make that choice? And th- that's where it gets really slippery. So, uh, you know, we're fighting um, for that, you know, what, you know, is craft important to the consumer? That's the question that comes back. And at what price point and things like that. And in the consumer's eyes, how do we differentiate ourselves from those breweries that they consider craft? And, you know, that's where the real battle becomes uh, really important. And, you know, I think being smaller will help us be agile and all those things. And we're, we're kind of, you know, trying to re- reduce our overhead, do things like that so we can operate at a smaller volume than what we're than what we found ourselves needing to do. And I guess that's that thing. Like if this is the passionate thing you wanted to do because you love these styles of beer, then you have to accept the economic ceiling that that, that might come with that also. Right. Yeah, and we're fortunate enough we can we can, you know, make that pivot and do that. Uh but we're in the process of, you know, how you know what does that look like right uh so it's an interesting time for us sure but uh sure i know i'm learning lessons right now i just don't know what they will be but i bet when i look back in five years you know i'll know if these decisions were good or not but uh but i think we're on the right course oh it'll be completely different and you'll kick yourself for everything all the decisions yeah you were making right now because it's just inevitable right yeah uh, <laughs> yep. you can't really can't really win can you no no, you know, having said that, you know, it's a it's a Thursday night here. The 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 pub, the brew pub here at Vivant was full of people, you know, eating and drinking and you know, clearly you're hitting a niche and an experience that still resonates with people even, you know, this many years in. You know, for any hospitality business where food is a major piece of that, you know, there's a lifespan generally speaking to to most restaurants. And you seem to have outlived that general lifespan uh, and maintained this kind of relevance with consumers from that experiential standpoint. Yeah, and I, I think really the future is, you know, when when breweries can control the environment within their brew pubs and tap rooms, like I think that is really what's going to, uh, you know, strengthen our industry because, um, you know, that environment you create, you know, people are still attracted to that. And now, um, boy, you know, like, like breweries used to be this kind of unique thing, but now it's been accepted into the culture, but people still want to go to breweries maybe for different reasons than, than back in 1997, but they still show up and, and that is easy to control. And if you can tell the story of the beer that you're serving, to the people, uh, you know, that resonates and it really, really works. It's hard to do that on the shelf, you know, with your labeling and things like that when there's no story attached uh, and it's just another beer that costs, you know, 12 bucks a four pack 
it's hard to it's hard to really stand out. But we we have that opportunity um, when people come through our doors, and I think that's kind of what we're looking at is changing our model to, you know, we have this you know, somewhat larger brewery. So we're, we're making, you know, our Vivant beers here, obviously, but the beers that we're distributing for the Broadleaf are also made here, um, which, you know, is kind of interesting having a uh, diastatic as yeast in-house while also trying to make hazy IPA uh, can be interesting. Uh, but you just got to be good. You can do you gotta it. You got to be good. That's you it. You just yeah. got to be concise. But, uh, you know, uh, but having that control uh, in-house and, and um, you know, just, it's going to help us, I think, and having that focus where we're looking more at that experience of having people come through our door rather than you know the distribution. Even though we're still doing it, but we're just we're kind of turning it on itself and putting it back into how we want to do it. Sure, it's sure. kind of freeing. Are there any big regrets that you have along the way? Boy, you know, uh, it's hard to um, it's hard to sell tanks and move them out. You know, I've had. People see me in the parking lot. Hey, you get new tanks? Well, not exactly. You know, so it's kind of hard to, it, it's more fun to grow than it is to shrink. I'll tell you that. So, you know, I do. And it's tough structuring a narrative around that. That, that it, it doesn't is. sound like defeat. Right. Um, but it'll make us stronger. Uh, and I've been kind of living with this, you know, I made this decision to buy all these at the time. And, and you know, it was you know, distribution needs us to grow. We can't keep the shelves empty and we got to do it. And then, you know, to have that change so fast. So I've been kind of living with that for, you know, last four or five years. So it actually kind of feels freeing. So, you know, somewhat of regret. I wish I didn't do that. Would have done that back then, sure, but sure. but I don't regret it that much because I think we'll learn and we're still here. And, you know, we're uh, a love brand in the community. And I think that's sometimes the hardest part. So we have a lot to be happy about, but, you know, I wish I... Could have done a few spending choices differently and things like that, but yeah. in the end, we're 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 in a good spot. Well, let's look into the future. What is uh, what does Vivant five years from now look like? What uh, what do you guys hope to accomplish over the next five years? You know that you know, you've been doing this for a while. Five years from now will be seventeen years in the brewery business, right? Yeah, you know, it doesn't look like selling to New Belgium. Lion Little World is going to be in your cards like it is for, no. you know, for Bells, uh, you know, and so, you know, it's not, not a multi-state footprint kind of, you know, large scale production brewery, but, but having said that it doesn't have to be, to be successful or to achieve the goals that you all have for it. What, uh, what do you hope to achieve from it? Well, I think, you know, the, as much beer as we can sell is close to our footprint as possible. I, I count that as a win. So, you know, I, I'd like to keep as, beer as local as we can make it. Um, you know, I'd love for these, you know, we, we may, maybe we open one more brew pub. You know, if, if I look at optimizing our production, um, you know, if we had one more brew pub, I wouldn't need to distribute at all. Uh, and that's kind of freeing uh, to think of too. Um, so, you know, that, that might be what it looks like, but, you know, it turns out we're pretty good at, at um, hospitality and having nice outdoor spaces for people, even though in Michigan we don't get to use them as much of the year as other places. Uh, but when we do, like people in Michigan, when when you have patio season, they live it hard. Oh, yeah. Because you got to yeah. get it while you can because it's not going to last forever. So, you know, I, I kind of think that's what it looks like is more of a 
local footprint and you know and my wife and I like having things you know within a close proximity so we don't want to be a city away anything we do is going to be within the Grand Rapids area but I think we can make a big difference in you know continuing that culture of uh of craft beer which I love um people that appreciate good food good drink and that social part I, I think it's such a important part of a community um to have those places to celebrate and and um people to gather that I think that's kind of what we're going to focus on and, and try to create beverages and beers. Maybe it's beyond beer. Uh, I'm glad we never made a seltzer, you know, but I, I also will never say never cause you never, sure, you know, sure. you don't know what's going to happen, but uh, you know, are my, you really glad? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that would have yeah, saved my 60 yeah. barrel tanks, but, uh, but anyway, I, you know, beer is my love and I, I think that's kind of where, where we're going to go back to 2020 <laughs> and make a seltzer then, then right. you know, yeah. 2019, right. that would have been the year. Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah. It, well, as soon as we have, think we have this figured out, the business changes on everybody. And so, yeah. you know, things are moving still, they're still continuing to move dynamically in craft beer and they will continue to move. Yeah. And it does seem like you are diversifying you're you're moving your eggs into some different baskets while still using your core competency to find ways to you know to spread across those kinds of things within these varying things that also you know not in an authentic way but in a way that lets you also explore some of the ideas that you have for making beer and do it within these different kind of brand contexts curious to see what the you know is the next brand going to be a pastry stout brand or is that already part of broadleaf uh you know maybe it's a lager house although you know there this that already exists now in grand right. rapids too and we'll have another conversation about that coming up soon uh just to tease everyone on that too um you know but uh you know it'll be interesting to see do you do you have any inkling of, of what direction that might take you I'm not sure exactly. I, I think we're kind of just reacting to what we see and trying to keep true to ourselves. And, you know, what is interesting is, you know, when you face like 2020 made you face the possibility of not existing anymore as a company. And when you go through that and, and come through on the other side, uh, you know, your outlook on life is just a little different. So, uh, you know, part of it is, you know, um, you know, you might need to make adjustments to your original plan and i've had friends that you know didn't change their plan and aren't around anymore and you know what does that benefit anybody right so making a few adjustments uh i think is fine and, and if, if we can do that and still keep the core of what we believe in intact i think that's hugely beneficial and i think um you know whether we foray into spirits a little more uh, i i can see that uh being a possibility you know making some unique spirits and and playing with that because people are really interested in that but i still hope you know in the core of myself uh that that gets people in the door to eventually try my beer which is what i love so belgian beer it's going to come back you're going to be well positioned when it does when it does here in the united states it's just like uh, terry and i were talking about earlier Scott. it's in its like fifth wave now seems to keep coming yep. back and it seems to still be you know people in their early 20s that are into it every single time it comes back you know but it but it keeps coming back i think right. belgian beer it's going to move in the same kind of waves and then however that happens you'll be here we'll be here when it does 
that's a great place to bring this to a close. GD Chillers has partnered with 3,000 plus breweries around the country and offers 24 7 service and support. TNS Hop Oils give your beer all the hop intensity with none of the astringency. Hackybrew gives brewers like you unprecedented insight into your fermentation process. Pro Brew Solutions are specifically designed to help you brew your beer. Trust the experts at Old Orchard to handle freight for your ingredients. SS Brewtech has taken the tech they invented, working with industry vets, and made them available to every craft brewer. Try Christian Hansen's SmartBev range of frozen liquid yeast and freeze-dried bacteria, and join the craft beer community in Sacramento March 19th through 22nd for the California Craft Beer Summit. Of course, if you enjoy this podcast and any others, go to beermbrew.com, click on that subscribe button, and uh, yeah, let us know that it matters to you. Become subscribers just like Jason here at Vivant. Uh, we appreciate your support, and we, you know, we enjoy bringing you this content, and we uh, depend on your support to make it happen. Jason, if people want to learn more about Vivant and Broadleaf uh, here in Grand Rapids, uh, where do they learn more about you? Uh, uh also on Facebook, the same, and uh, broadleafbeer.com. Uh, check them out. The three tap rooms here uh, in Grand Rapids. If you make it to Grand Rapids, each of them are slightly different, so it's worth uh, a stop at each. Fantastic. Well, it's been fun talking to you here on the podcast. Cheers, Jason. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.